Psalms chapter number 32, Psalms chapter number 32, and we'll continue on this last really um, message on the topic of I am blessed, and, uh, and I hope the messages have been an encouragement to you over the last few weeks, and I hope last week's message was an encouragement. I know uh, Brother Wall's messages were an encouragement to me, and uh, I pray that they were to you as well. Psalm chapter number 32, and we'll be looking at the whole chapter this morning. Psalm chapter number 32. If you're here this morning, you still have not received the, the uh, notes uh, for the message this morning, go ahead and raise your hand. And like I said, the ushers will, will give that to you if you need them. And uh, oh, actually, I think we, we're making some more coffee. So we'll, we'll get some of those to you if you do need that. But Psalm chapter number 32 is the passage in which we will be studying this morning. And in most of your Bibles, perhaps, you'll, you'll notice at the beginning of the psalm, this says a psalm of David and then has this word, muskil, uh, and that means instruction. It is a, a psalm of instruction. So I hope this morning you've, uh, you've come with a heart to learn and to grow in God's word. This is a psalm that not only reminds us of many blessings that we receive from God, but also instructs us in many areas of our life where we can receive God's blessing. And so I hope this is a, a psalm and a, and a message that is a blessing to you this morning. Psalm chapter number 32. Uh, we'll start in verse number one. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for th this psalm that has so much to teach us, Father, about the blessings that we have received from your hand. Now I pray that as we study this passage, I pray, first of all, that you would fill me with your spirit. Uh, that what is said from the pulpit this morning would not just be man's ideas, but that would be truth from your word. And then I pray that you would give me the utterance to speak as, uh, as I communicate this message, that I would be able to communicate it clearly, that I would be able to, uh, Father, just say what you've put on my heart, what I, uh, what I was able to learn from your word this week. And, and Father, I pray that uh, you would not only... Uh, continually challenge uh, me as as the uh, the preacher this morning, but your people that it w this message would be an encouragement to them. May your spirit uh, guide us, and and may your spirit uh, examine our hearts this morning and search our hearts to see areas in our life where perhaps uh, we need to change. And and Father, that we'd be molded more like you. That we would be, uh, Father. Continually changing into the image of Jesus Christ into our life. And Father, that only comes through the application of your word. And so I pray that as we hear your word, we would understand it this morning, but also that we would be able to apply it and live it out in our lives. And I ask that you would do just that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the year was 2000. It was actually uh, late in the year, uh, or early in the year of 2000. And I was a sophomore in high school, and I remember that um, uh, my dad was talking to the coach. I had a, a coach, my basketball coach, his name was Coach Harold Allen, and, 
And I remember uh, Coach Allen talking to my dad just a little bit about our basketball season. And, and our season wasn't the best that year. It was sort of a, a rebuilding year for our program. In fact, there at, in, in, uh, in that year of, of basketball at the school that I was at, uh, basically all five starters on that team were sophomores. In fact, actually, I think only one of them was a senior. So four of them were sophomores. So we were a rather young team, and uh, we were playing actually fairly well. Uh, and we had played together since fourth grade. In fact, we started playing basketball in fourth grade. I remember there was a, a coach by the name of Coach Gray. He was actually just a volunteer. He was one of the, the parents of, uh, of the student there in my class. And, and, uh, and Kent's dad, his name was Kent, Kent's dad was the, the coach. And he started our basketball team from fourth grade. And we had played uh, quite a few years together. And, and, uh, and we had done uh, decently and fairly well. And and God had blessed us with that, and, and uh, it was getting to the point in my life as a sophomore, now mind you, I'm only about 15 or 16 at this point in my life, and, and uh, Coach Allen began to talk to me before he talked to my dad about the possibility of playing Division I basketball. Now, if you know anything about college basketball, you'll know that there's three kinds of divisions uh, that schools are divided into. You have Division I basketball, which is like the University of Texas or North Carolina or Duke. Basically, whoever you watch on ESPN, that's usually Division I basketball. And then there's Division II basketball. Now, these are the schools that are, are rather big, but they're not as big. They're not as good. Their programs uh, don't have as much money, so they don't give as many scholarships. They still have a few scholarships that they give out to certain players. But uh, for the most part, these, these teams are less uh, able to, uh, to really uh, play the game and, 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 uh, and to, to compete at a high level like the Division I. Then you have Division Three. Division Three gives no scholarships. These are uh, athletes that just sort of go to school and they, they walk onto the team and they try to try out for the team and they sort of play uh, just at, at their own expense, if you will. They have to pay for their school. Uh, there's no scholarship to help pay with that and they just sort of play on their free time. And so those are the three divisions of basketball. And of course, Division One is the highest level. And I remember Coach Allen talking to me and saying, you know, Jeremy, if you can just get looked at, maybe I can, I can help you uh, get to a Nike camp and, and there's people there and maybe you can get looked at and, and maybe there's some sort of uh, scholarship that could be given to you for, for playing basketball. And, and I remember thinking, yeah, that's what I want to do. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm good enough. Now, Coach Allen was a Division I baseball player. In fact, the year that he played at Indiana State University, they won the College World Series. And, and I felt like Coach Allen was someone that could evaluate talent rather well. And I thought, well, if Coach Allen is saying this and he played Division I, then he must know that, that I have some talent and I can do this. And, and I remember telling Coach, I said, well, Coach, if you just talk to my dad, maybe he'll uh, He'll allow me to do that, and we can look at fundraisers or something to, to get to this camp, and we can do that. So Coach Allen went and, and uh, talked to my dad, and I was there and uh, with them. And, and I remember him uh, telling my dad, listen, I think, I think Jeremy's got a, uh, some talent, and I think he can play at, at that level. And, and uh, would you consider maybe allowing him to go to a, a, a Nike camp just to see how, how his talents rank with, with other players? And, and uh, I remember my, my dad talking to me. He said, well, Coach, uh, I really appreciate that offer. I really, uh, I really do. I really appreciate that you're thinking that way. But, you know, we just have uh, different, uh, different plans for Jeremy. We, we, we have different goals for him. And uh, that's just not something that we feel would be, would be in the best interest for him at, at this time. And so uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, that you're willing to even give up your own money and, and raise some other money to have him go. But that's just not something we want now. And I remember thinking, Dad, why? It's not like we're playing on Sunday. It's not like I'm breaking a commandment by playing basketball. And, and my perspective on it was, at least give me a shot. Do you not think I'm good enough? I mean, this, this coach he played, he, he thinks I'm good enough. Dad, what, what in the world? And, and Dad's perspective was just, to me, out of this world. I thought, that, that's really crazy. Well, a couple years later, I graduated. And then after graduation, I was able to go to a college out in California. It was a small Baptist uh, College there, and uh, they had a basketball team, and the first two years that I uh, went to college, I was not able to afford to play basketball and work at the same time. I had to pay my school, and, and so uh, on my third year, my junior year, I had saved up enough, and, and my parents were willing to help me a little bit as well during those uh, two semesters during that year to allow me to play college basketball. 
Now, it had been, I sat out a year before, uh, before going to college, so it had been about three years since I had played organized ball, and, and, uh, and so I tried out for the team, and I, and I made the team, and, and I remember the third game that season. The first couple games were, uh, were a little bit rough, but the, the first game that we had was against the alumni, and we beat the alumni, and uh, the alumni that year had only graduated the year before, and that was the best team that West Coast had ever produced. And, and so we were pretty confident in ourselves, and we beat those guys, and those guys were, were really good. And, and uh, of course, we weren't taking into account that they hadn't played in a in year at all. Uh, but uh, we were just thinking, well, we've been training, and we've getting better, and I think we're better than last year's team now. And, and so we went into that second game and that third game. It was a tournament that we were in, feeling pretty good about ourselves. And we played a, a college by the name of Pacific. It's in the L.A. area. Uh, it's a Division III college, if I, bel- uh, if I remember correctly, and that's, once again, the lowest division in uh, college sports. And uh, I remember playing them. I remember their, their center uh, was probably like 6'9 or 6'10. Our biggest guy was 6'4, okay, and he was soaking wet, about 170 pounds. I mean, he wasn't really thick as a, as a center there, but he was our center, and, and then the rest of us were guards, and, and I was about the average height of everyone else. In fact, our point guard was about an inch or so, or so shorter than me, and, uh, and so we weren't a very tall team. Uh, we, were, we were not very strong. We were, we were very small, and I remember that game, and I'll never forget that game because I think in the whole game, and I really, I tried my best to forget the score, so, uh, and, and I've been rather successful in that, and it's been, what, you know, 12 years since that game, but um, I believe we scored like 25 points in the whole game, okay, and uh, that's not good when the other team scores more than 90 points, okay, we lost by 70 points that game. The worst loss that our school's ever had, and I, and I don't think they've beat that yet. Uh, we were not only a bad team, we're probably the worst team that this college has ever had. And I remember after that game, my perspective totally changes. I remember my perspective of Division One going, what made me ever think that I could play at that level? That was crazy. What was Coach Allen even thinking? You know, I thought, wow, he must have not been thinking very straight if he thought I could play at that level. I mean, on the worst level, we're still getting blown out by 70 points. And it was one of those things that happened in my life that totally changed my perspective. Psalm 32 is kind of like that. It's a psalm that David wrote after he sinned with Bathsheba, after he committed that adulterous sin. And and he writes this, and his whole perspective now has changed. His whole perspective of sin has changed. Do you know, in a society in which Hollywood and the liberal media really drive a a great narrative and and sort of drive the news of the day and, and what should be right and what should be wrong, it's really easy for us as Christians to become very comfortable with sin. It becomes very easy as Christians to really not look at it as something so great or big of a deal. And David, in this instructional psalm, after experiencing what he experienced, he begins to reflect upon what he has learned because of this. What he's learned and what God taught him through this time in which in his life he, he allowed sin to be a little bit too comfortable. He, he, he allowed sin to be something that wasn't really too serious of a matter in his life. And let me just say that as Christians, when that happens, we can lead ourselves into destruction. We can lead ourselves into a condemnation in our life where consequences come because we just took it a little bit too lightly. Now, I don't know what you might uh, share in your life, but I'm sure you've experienced something where your perspective has changed about something in your life. Or maybe you went through a tragic situation and your your perspective changed about life itself, your philosophy of life, or what your goals in life were. Perhaps you went through a broken relationship and now your perspective about relationships has changed. I don't know, but we've all gone through a, a time in our life where our perspective has changed. So here David is writing this psalm. And he's writing on the perspective of change, his, his changed perspective, I should say, on sin itself. 
And let me just say, as he's gone through this experience and as he's reflecting upon what God has done for him and what God has taught him, he begins to write down some of the blessings that he learned about God and what God had given him even through that difficult time. And so this morning, I want you to understand, as we read and, and, and learn from this psalm, I want you to understand, this is a psalm that David says, here's the perspective I should have had about sin. But let me just say that now what God has taught me through this experience, he's blessed me. I, I see more of God's blessing in my life because of this experience in my life than without it. Now, David's not excusing sin. He's not saying, well, to learn more about God's blessing, we need to sin more. That's not what this psalm is all about. But it is about helping us to understand. Here's what we need to understand about what God has done for us. And in a month that we are really focused on God's blessings, I think it's really important that we learn what the blessings David learned uh, in his life during this time that we can apply into our life and have those same blessings be a part of our life and part of our ex uh, Christian experience. So I want to share some of those with you this morning. Look, if you will, in verse number one, as David writes, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. I want you to notice that the first blessing that he writes about is the blessing of forgiveness. The blessing of forgiveness. The first thing that David writes as he reflects upon this time in his life, he says, you know, I've really been blessed because God blessed me by forgiving me. The first thing that he thinks about is the blessing of forgiveness. And, and the first area he thinks about is this area of forgiveness from the punishments of sin. From the punishment of sin. He said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven the psalmist first begins to reflect on the truth that he hasn't been uh, that he has been forgiven from that penalty of his sin he understands that sin must have a penalty but that penalty has been paid and he said man blessed is that person whose transgression has been forgiven whose sin has been covered you know that word forgiven there means to be lifted up or taken off Transgression there means that load-bearing sin. You know that sin in our life is something that weighs us down. And, and, he, and, and, and David reflecting upon what he committed with Bathsheba, reflecting on the consequences and the punishment that comes along with adultery, uh, he begins to reflect and says, you know, I've really been blessed. God forgave me of that penalty. God lifted up that penalty that I was supposed to take. He said, it's been amazing for me to think about how that forgiveness has been uh, uh, given to me in my life. That burden was lifted off of my shoulders. But he says, not only has that transgression uh, been forgiven, he said, but that sin has been covered. Now, this is really two aspects of the punishment of sin. He said, first of all, that that sin is no longer weighing on me. The punishment of that sin is no longer on me. The condemnation, if you will, of that sin is no longer upon me. But now that sin has been covered. It's, it's been hidden. It's, it's no longer even revealed to God. God no longer looks at you and says, oh, yeah, David, the adulterer. That's not what he sees. He says, David, the redeemed, David, the forgiven, David, the pardoned, David, the man whose sin has been covered. David says, man, I, I remember as I reflect on what God has done for me, he said, I've been blessed because I've been forgiven by God. Now, in order for us to really appreciate how our sin has been lifted off from us and, and how to, uh, if we're going to really appreciate how our sin has been covered or is no longer in God's eyes, we must understand what the payment of sin is. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it says, the soul that sinneth, it shall Die. Look at the end there. It says the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. David understood that truth. David, uh, David understood that uh, sin has its punishment. Sin has its penalty. And he says, man, I've been blessed in that I serve a God who forgives that penalty, who forgives that punishment, who will not only not only forgive us, but not hold us to it any longer. He said there's a blessing of being forgiven, the blessing of knowing that uh, we have been freed from the punishment of sin. I like what verse 2 says. He says, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. He also remembers that even as that sinner who has been 
uh, covered uh, by the blood of, of, of Jesus Christ, who has been forgiven by that God who, uh, who has seen all sin. And, and he, after having been forgiven of that transgression, after being uh, seen that his sin has been covered, he writes about how he has not even been imputed with iniquity. In other words, David says, I've committed a crime, but God has not charged me with a criminal offense. Now, I don't know about you, but there is a blessing about being forgiven when you know that the crime that you have committed has not been charged to you. I, I don't know about you, but it's happened to me just on a couple of, of occasions where I've driven a little bit faster than what the speed limit says, right? And not minding my surroundings, I never saw the cop around the corner, and then suddenly the lights are on and he's right behind you. Maybe that's happened to you, and you're pulling over, and you're going, oh, man, what's this ticket going to be? What did I do? What was the speed limit? I wasn't even looking. I'm just driving. And the officer comes, and he says, hey, you were going 45, and it's actually 35 in this area, and and you were going about 10 miles over the speed limit. Can I have your uh, ID, and can I have your uh, registration? And you give him that stuff, and he goes back to the car, and you're like, oh. There went this week's paycheck, and I was going to use that money for gifts, and now what am I going to do? And when he comes back and he says, well, I'm going to give you a warning today, but I want you to just remember to drive slower while you're going through this uh, street. I mean, I don't know about you, but I sometimes want to shout for joy. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yes, 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 thank you, sir, thank you, sir. You're the greatest, and you're the best officer, and I love you guys, right? When they give you the ticket, you're like, you're the worst, and I don't know why you even have jobs and all this other stuff, but... Man, to, to be free, to not be charged, that's the feeling that David had. David said, man, I've been blessed. I committed this crime. I broke God's law, but he did not charge me. You see, blessed is that man. Blessed is that man. And then at the end there, he said, in whose spirit there is no guile. He says, man, blessed is that person who's sincere about repentance who's sincere about asking God to forgive him. And let me just say this morning, if, you, if you've never done that, if you've never asked God to forgive you, let me just say, today is a great day to do it. But you can't just say, well, uh, it's just a, a, a prayer you repeat. No, it's more than just a prayer. Do you know getting God's forgiveness is a sincere act of your heart? It's a sincere act of who you are, of your soul saying, God, I know I am a sinner. Will you please forgive me? That's what the psalmist was saying, in whose lips there is no guile. It's not something he's doing for other people to see. It wasn't something that he was repenting of because I got caught. No. It was something that he says, I have offended God. He said, I should be punished, and I've not been punished. I should be charged, and God hasn't charged me. In fact, he's hidden my sin away. Man, blessed is that person. This week, I was able to just spend some time with uh, Brother uh, Schufelt, and, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, but we were just talking about what God is doing there in, in, the, uh, in the prison ministry at Evans uh, Juvenile Center, and we talked a little bit about that, and, and then we got into just a little bit about uh, his testimony. And I hadn't really known a whole lot about his testimony, but he didn't get saved till he was 27 years old. And it was interesting to him telling me, he said, man, I, I never wanted anything to do with God. I thought, nah, I could make it in life without him. I don't need him. He said, I'd, I'd heard a little bit about it. There was a, a policeman that he had worked with who had been witnessing to him, and he always ignored him. In fact, at one point, he got so angry at him, he, he lunged at him to get in a fight with him and, and hurt and bruised his, his, uh, his ribs. And that's how angry he was when someone tried to witness to him. But that policeman went back to his church, and he asked his church to be praying for a guy named David Schufelt. He asked another uh, church that they knew to ask and pray for a guy by the name of David Schufelt. And, and that policeman, he said, uh, years later, he said, I, I remember talking to him, meeting him, and he said, I never thought, Dave, that you were ever going to get saved. I was almost just praying just to say, okay, at least I prayed for the guy. Oh, but as Brother Schufelt was sharing that with me, I, I couldn't help... Uh, noticing as he began to get really teary-eyed. And then I started getting really teary-eyed to think about how blessed we were to be forgiven. He said, Jeremy, you don't, you don't understand. 
how I was before I got saved, before he changed me. Man, he said, I, I have a heart for those kids there in the, in the prison system, and he's worked in the, in, in the prison system as a chaplain there as a volunteer for, for many years now. And he says, because I know that that's where I was. That's where I was headed. But for God's forgiveness. And he said, I, I'm just blessed today. Blessed. Blessed to be forgiven from the penalty and the punishment of sin. But the psalmist said, not only was I blessed from the punishment of sin, but he's also blessed because I've been forgiven from the effect of sin. Do you know that sin affects our lives? Sometimes we don't think that way. Sometimes we think that it really doesn't have any serious consequences because, you know, it doesn't come right away. For David, as he's writing this psalm, a lot of the consequences that came from this sin have not been lived out yet. His son has not raped his daughter. His son has not killed another son. His, his, his kingdom has not been torn apart by one of his sons. None of that has happened yet. But just look at the effects that the sin already had in his life. He, he writes in verse 2, he says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. He said, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. He says, you know, after I sinned with Bathsheba, if you know the story, David tried to hide it. David didn't want nobody to know. And he said, all during that time I was living a two-faced life. I was living one way as a king, but really my heart and my life was something totally different. And he says, man, just holding that sin in my life, it hurt. You know, it's been scientifically proven that your attitude sometimes can affect your health. They've shown that when you have a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry, when you have a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness, it can affect if you're a healthy person or not. They've shown that it can affect if you're going to have higher chances of having a heart attack or not. Many physical illnesses come because of this. You know, not only physical, but mental and spiritual illnesses come. From the fact of sin in our life. David right near just gives a testimony of that. He said man it weighed on me. And my bones were just. They, 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 I felt like I was a 90 year old man. Like I was at the end of my life. At the end of my rope. That sin was just weighing upon me. He says I've been blessed because I've been forgiven. From the effects of sin. From what sin can do to a person. Psalm chapter 38 verses 2 through 8. I won't read all of it but there it's in your notes. He says, for thine arrows stick fast in me and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. And you can read on and on there in the verses as David explains exactly what that means. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've lived a life where sin has had that kind of effect in your life. Man, sin always has an effect that hurts us, an effect that, that brings to us to our knees, that affects our, our physical and spiritual health. And David says, you know what I'm blessed with? He says, young man, I want, to hear, I want you to understand, and, and young ladies, I want you to hear me on this. I've been blessed today. I've been blessed in my life because that transgression that I committed isn't held against me. And because when I was silent about my sin, man, it was weighing heavy on me. Oh, but let me just say, I've, I've, I've been blessed because I've been forgiven. No longer am I walking, along, uh, uh, walking alone with this load on my back. No longer do I feel like I, my bones are waxing old. That's no longer happening in my life. You see, there was a time where that was how I felt day and night. But now, he said, I'm forgiven. Life is different. Life has changed. He said, man, I've been really blessed. Blessed because I've been forgiven. The second blessing that he shares with us in this psalm is not only the blessing of forgiveness, but the blessing of freedom. The blessing of freedom. He says there in verse number five, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. You know that the blessing of freedom, first of all, begins with confession? The psalmist said, let me just tell you about this blessing of freedom. When you start to confess what you have done wrong, let me just say, it's the first step 
in free, for freedom in your life. He says, I confessed to you. I acknowledge my sin unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I will confess my transgressions. You know that word confess there in the Hebrew? It means to hand out. That's what that word means there. To hand, to, to give in my hand, to, to let it go. I want you to have that thought and then look at Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. I think that is in your notes, Isaiah 59. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Here's what God is saying. My hand is ready to rescue you if you're willing to confess and let go of that sin. See, David did not find freedom in his life and the blessing of freedom in his life till he was willing to just give up what was in his hand. You know, some of us here this morning need to be willing to give up something in our, in our hand. That sin is weighing upon you. And you think nobody knows. And you think it's not going to affect your life and that, that there's going to be no consequences for what you're doing. And God says, listen, you need to confess it. You need to give it to me. Let it go. The psalmist wrote here, he says, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. I love that. I love that he didn't say, I will confess my transgression to the priest. I will confess my transgression to the pastor. He said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. He says in Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned. David understood, listen, I, I need to let go of some stuff in my life. This sin in my life needs to be let go of. And then he says, and God will forgive you. <laughs> and you forgave my iniquity. Man, you want to know what real freedom is like? Just let go of that sin. Confess, hand it to him. And God said, I will take it and hide it. I will forgive it. You see, the blessing of freedom starts with confession. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. But secondly, not only do we find that it starts or begins with confession, but it continues through prayer. Then David says to those that are listening in verse number 6, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. You know that prayer is somehow the most unused weapon in the spiritual warfare that a Christian uses. Someone has noted about prayer that when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. And the psalmist said, you know, after you confess and give that sin to God and he forgives you, then you pray that God helps you to strengthen you, to live in that freedom. He says, for this shall they pray. Not only for the, the freedom of, of knowing that I've been forgiven, the, the, the blessing of forgiveness, but that, that blessing that comes with freedom. And then the Lord puts it like this. David said, in a time when there was trouble, in a time that you could be found. You know, there is a time when it is too late. There is a time when it is too late. You know, for Dave, David, I don't know why I call him Dave, but for David as if he was my friend, right? Uh, like I know him. But for David here, it was getting to a time where it was pretty late to stop much of the consequences. He had tried to live and hide this sin for so long that now consequences were going to come. Now, God did forgive him, and God did pardon him, and God did give him the blessing of freedom. But, but man, there were some severe consequences. One was that the sword was never going to leave his house. I mean, he had his own children abusing one another and killing one another. There's a time if you wait too long where God says, I will laugh at you when your calamity cometh. When it cometh like a whirlwind, he says. That's why Isaiah the prophet says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You know, if you're battling with some sort of sin in your life today, let me just say, today is the day to get it right. 
Don't say, well, I'll wait till next week. Well, I'll, I'll wait till this happens. I'll wait till that happens. No. God says, now is the time. Now is the accepted time. You see, if you're going to live in this freedom, you must continually have that, that time of prayer, that time of God uh, cleansing you and renewing you. That all comes through prayer. God says, listen, I want you to understand. Freedom begins with that confession, but it continues in that time of prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. It's through this time of prayer that God continually can keep us right and keep us living in that freedom. But then I want you to notice that the psalmist says not only does it continue in prayer, but the blessing of freedom ends with praise. He says in verse 7, Thou art my hiding place, thou, art, thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. You see, we must not forget that it is in praising God that we share with others and rejoice in our own hearts the victories that God has given us. Praising God is merely an outflow of a thankfulness to God for his wonderful provision. David had recognized that it was God that had preserved his life. It was God that had forgiven him. It was God that had given him this freedom. And now, he says, and now I will sing with songs of deliverance. Man, it leads us to praise. You know why many times we don't sing as loud as we ought to sing when we come together on a Sunday morning? Many times it's because there's some sin that we're carrying in our life. Because we're not living in freedom. We're living in bondage to certain attitudes, certain bitterness. We're living in bondage to worry and anxiety. We're living in bondage and hate towards others. And now you can't sing. You feel like you have nothing to sing about. Oh, but let me tell you, the Christian that, that has experienced that freedom, that Christian who's confessed his sin and found forgiveness and mercy that christian who's continually in prayer asking god to strengthen him and to encourage him and to be with him that christian can sing that christian can sing his praises not because he's perfect not because he never sins in his life no because he's experienced that blessing of freedom it always ends in praise it always ends with the understanding of what god has done for you you know, in September 22nd of 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And starting January 1st of 1863, every slave in Confederate states was going to be free. Totally free. And to get the word out, they, they made a bunch of copies of this emancipation. And they, they passed them out through all of the states so that the slaves would know that they had been given freedom. They no longer had to live in bondage. They no longer had to be slaves, but now they were free. Do you know that the Emancipation Proclamation for the Christian is when he confesses, when he prays, and when he sings God's praises? Man, it's one that says, I'm free, and I'm blessed to be free. The psalmist, upon reflecting what God had taught him during this dark time in his life, says, man, even in that time, God was good. God blessed me because he forgave me. God blessed me because he gave me freedom. But the third blessing that he writes to us about is this, the blessing of fellowship. He says in verse number eight, I will instruct thee. Now, this is God speaking. Now, in those first seven verses, it's David writing about the experiences that God taught him. But now God is speaking. And God says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. The blessing of fellowship with God. Now, I'm talking about fellowship in a relationship with God. Not fellowship of, you know, getting together and having, uh, you know, a, a good meal together like we did this past week. No, I'm talking about fellowship with God, a relationship with God. And God says, I will instruct thee and I will teach thee. I want you to notice the blessing of fellowship starts with his instruction. God instructs us. He speaks to David and says, I promise to instruct thee and to teach thee. In other words, God says, I will show you what is right and what is wrong. 
If you remember, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching. That's what is right. And for reproof, that is what is wrong. And for correction, that's how to get right. And for instruction, that's how to stay right. And David said, this instruction, God promised me. God said to me, I will instruct you. I will keep you in that right. I will tell you what is right and what is wrong. That's why it's so important, by the way. How does God do that? Is it a, is a voice? Is it, is it by signs in the heavens? Is it by signs that happen in my home? No. It's by the word of God. That's why he says all scripture is given. Why is it given? To instruct us. And so the psalmist says, you know, God promised that he would instruct you and me. Isn't that an awesome blessing? To know what is right. Man, in a world where people can't even determine anymore what a male gender and what a female gender is. By the way, there was a statistic that said 77% of college-graduated people believe that gender is not determined at birth. College-educated. That should tell you a little bit about what college education means nowadays. But in a world like that, it's good to have Fellowship with someone says, I'll tell you what is right. I'll tell you how you can be blessed. I'll tell you how I can be with you. There in verse number eight, I love that he says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. He said, just, just follow me. I'll tell you. I'll show you. But then he says, not only will I instruct you, he said, but I will guide you with mine eye, with mine own eye. You know that God sees everything, that God knows everything. God knows what's going to happen later today. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And he said, I'm going to guide you. I don't know if you've ever gone on a tourist trip at all or if you've ever had a tour guide, but that tour guide usually can help you avoid the mistakes that, uh, that many people fall into when they have no tour guide. The guide is there to not only tell you historical facts about what you're seeing, but he also tells you maybe where the best restaurants are. And sometimes he'll tell you uh, where the best hotspots are. And he always tells you something that will help you experience the best that you can experience on that trip. And God says, I will be that for you. I will guide you. By the way, that already has the idea that he's with you. God says, I'm not just going to instruct you from over here and say, okay, you're going to go through that door and go over there. And then if you make a right on that first hallway, then you're going to see a couple doors. And then you'll make a left on the, first, on the next hallway. And then the first door on the right, that's where the bathroom is. No, God says, I'll, I'll walk you over there. I'll show you. See, that's the difference between instruction and guidance. Instruction tells you what is right, but guide, a guide will take you to where is right. God says, I'm not only going to tell you how you can be blessed, I'm going to guide you. I'll be with you so that you can experience this blessing. We find that the psalmist learned, hey, God instructs me. and God guides me. And by the way, you'll notice in verse number 9 and verse number 10, you'll find that God never forces anyone to do anything. He said, don't be like a horse and don't be like a mule. They, they have to be led by a bit in their mouth. He said, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to guide you by forcing you. Okay, come on, get over here. God doesn't guide like that. Guides, God speaks to us through his word. And God says, will you follow me? For many of his disciples, Jesus said, will you follow me? Will you follow me? He didn't grab Peter by the ear. And say, Peter, you get off that boat, you come with me. Didn't do that. He said, Peter, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Hey, uh, Matthew, Levi, tax collector, will, will you follow me? I mean, will you give it all up and just follow me? God says, man, I, I'll guide you if you just follow. Then I'll know, I want you to notice there at the end, he says that he will protect us. Not only will God instruct us, not only will he guide us, but he will protect us. He says, verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, 
But he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. There's always protection when we follow God's word. There, there are many in the world who would feel that the truths of God are, are limiting and they sap away uh, any fun or joy out of this life because they feel like it gets, you know, uh, God is, is against so many things. God doesn't like this. God doesn't like that. There's so many rules that God is against. But you know that God says, I'm not trying to limit your freedom. I'm just trying to protect you. Those that have small children in, in, in your home, you know and understand this truth perhaps more than others that do not. You let them go play in a yard that you have a fence around. You don't let them just play in the street. You, you do all that you can to protect your children. And you're not trying to say, man, son, I hope you have the most boring day. I hope you have the most boring life you could ever have. No. No, our goal as parents, man, I hope you have more fun than I ever did when I was a child. And I hope you experience much better things than I ever got to experience. But in doing that, you sort of limit and you protect them. God says there are many sorrows for the wicked. You hold on to your sin, there's many sorrows that come because of that. There's many burdens. There's much sadness, much despair. Oh, but he said that he that trusteth in the Lord, oh, he shall find that mercy. He'll find God's protection in his life. Now, this is a promise from God's word. Let me just say, if you're going through a difficult time right now, just hold on to some of God's promises like this one. God says, man, listen, there are many sorrows for the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord. Some of you young people need to say, you know what, I think I'm just going to trust God for my future. I know the school counselor has something to say about that, but I know God has something better to say about it. I'm not against school counselors this morning. I'm just simply saying there's some, someone better that can protect you better, that knows better what is for you and for your life. It's time that some of us as young people and as young couples, we say, I'm just going to let God instruct me. I'm not going to let Hollywood instruct me. I'm not going to let the liberal media instruct me. I'm not going to let uh, some sort of uh, wrong philosophy instruct me. I'd rather just let God's word be the one that instructs me. Let God protect me. And then I want you to notice lastly this morning that God not only protects us, but he also rejoices us. He rejoices us. The psalm ends with this lesson of a, of a wonderful thought that God has given us a new heart. He says, be glad in the, in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. How did David get a righteous heart? How many good deeds did David do up to this point to get a righteous heart? Zero. Or an upright heart? Zero. Well, then how did he get a righteous heart? Through God's forgiveness. Through God's grace. The same way you and I get a righteous heart today. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That was Jesus Christ. That we might be made the righteousness of God. God gave us that righteousness through Jesus Christ. It was a, a wonderful trait. And, and the psalmist just, he reflects on that. I know it's getting late, so I'm going to end here. But Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God says, listen, I, I'm willing to trade that deceitful, lustful, wicked heart for mine. You want to trade? Just give up. Confess your trust. Just give it up, and I'll give you mine. David says, that's what I learned. I learned that when I mess up, God is still there, gracious, willing to forgive, ready to help. Let me just say this morning, David said, I've been blessed. I don't know about you, but I can say with David, I've been blessed. I've been blessed with the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of freedom, the blessing of fellowship with God. How about you today? I'll end with this story. There was a certain missionary that was going to the uh, tribes in Africa and trying to get to know them. He was trying to get gifts, give them gifts to just get to know them, get in, uh, involved in their tribe there. And, 
and, uh, and he was doing this with many African tribes. And one of the things he did was he gave them a mirror. Now, this was a time when there was not a whole lot of mirrors around. And, and so many of the tribes that received the mirror, the handheld mirror, they loved it. Because for the very first time, they were seeing their reflection. They, they'd always only used a, a lake and water and stuff. And, and so to have this mirror was something that was just, to them, unique and unbelievable. And they let the missionary come and speak to them as long as he would bring that mirror. Well, he, re- he went to one tribe there in Africa where there was a queen of that tribe, and they had told that queen that she was the most beautiful of all the women there in the tribe. Now, never seen her reflection before, she believed that. She believed that she was, though in reality she was not. Well, as this missionary got there, he, he had the mirror, and, and, uh, and she wanted to see if she really was the most beautiful of all of them. She said, missionary, will you give me that, missionary, uh, that, that mirror? I just want to see my reflection. And, and she looked up at it. And upon seeing her reflection, she got so angry, she threw down the mirror and broke it. She forbid the missionary from coming back. And she said, I never want to see that mirror again. The truth that she saw didn't settle with her. She didn't like it. Let me just say, as we read this psalm, as we look at the perspective of how much we've been blessed, you can either say, you know what? I really have been blessed. And really, there's something in my life today that I need to repent and change and give to God. Or you can be like that queen there in Africa and just destroy it and move forward. Oh, but many sorrows there are for the wicked. I encourage you this morning. Get the right perspective. Look at what God has done for us. Look at the blessings that we have received. And make of Him the blessing of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for this psalm as David reminds us this morning that we are truly a blessed people. We've been blessed not only with your word, but the truth that we find in it. And Father, now as we look at our perspective, as we look at how much we've been blessed and how we've been blessed. I pray that we would have a heart of thankfulness towards you. I pray that this morning that we would not just hear these truths and, and just register them in our mind as something that was a nice thing to listen to or hear. But Father, that we could apply it into our lives and, and truly say, I have been blessed. I have been blessed in what God has done for me. Though I haven't been the most faithful, God is always faithful. Though I've been living in bondage, God is always offering me freedom. Oh, Father, I pray that we would live in that freedom, that we would live in the blessings that you have provided for us. Oh, Father, may your spirit speak to us this morning. May we apply your word into our life and make it part of us. May it change us. May it transform us. May we live a life that has been blessed by you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we stand to our feet, uh, just want to reiterate one announcement there.